Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My name's Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We're one of the host cities for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So please take a minute from your busy hustle and bustle day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode 18 of the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Today I have an interesting guest who I've only recently met, but I was very intrigued by her research, so decided to invite her along to the podcast. Darina Pajani is a senior lecturer in urban planning at the University of Queensland. She joined the program in 2015 upon completing her postdoctoral residency at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. Her research interests encompass built environment topics including urban design, urban transport and urban housing in both the global north and south. She has completed her graduate studies in the US and Belgium beside her native Albania. Over the years, she had held guest lecturing or research positions in Austria, Chile and Italy and has been a consultant for various UN agencies, including the United Nations Development Program, UN Economic and Social Commission for Asia and Pacific and UN Habitat. And prior to joining academia, she worked in urban design and planning in California. Uh, What a diverse career you've had, Darina. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm so thrilled you accepted my invitation. How are you? Thanks for having me, Nicole. Um, It's wonderful to be in your podcast. Awesome. Your bio is so impressive, having worked across the world with these lead agencies and now calling Brisbane home, lecturing at UQ. What brought you to Australia? Um, Well, it was my job that brought me here at first. But I have to say it is one of my favorite places. I think I found my home in Brisbane. That's amazing. I'm I'm so pleased you chose Queensland to be your home. And I'm really interested in hearing about your latest research into Brisbane's car-free community. Based on your background and your previous experiences, what made you want to research Brisbane's car-free community? Well, look, I've had a bit of a unique experience, which not many people have nowadays. I grew up in Albania back when it was still a communist country, so in the 1980s. um, That's when I was a kid there. And a unique feature of Albania at the time, which differed from other communist countries, was that uh, car ownership was entirely prohibited. In other communist countries, you could still have a car. It was heavily regulated. I mean, gas cost a lot, and the car itself cost a lot, but you could still have it. Whereas in Albania, you just could not own a car. And so I've had this almost unique upbringing for a child of the 80s of just not having experienced a car. I mean, nowadays, the kids start traveling in cars the moment they're born, right? The the first trip from the clinic Absolutely. to home in the car. Whereas I yeah. um I didn't start traveling in cars until I was ten. I mean after after Albania stopped being communist and um, the regime got overthrown and people started owning cars. So so that's um that's something that shaped me. I think it that stayed with me. And then more recently I've had 
the good fortune, um, I should say, to live in the Netherlands for two and a half years as a postdoc. And I feel all planners need to do a stint in the Netherlands because that truly is the uh, paradise for cyclists. So that's a country where actually... Um, they, I mean, they have high levels of car, car ownership, of course. It's a wealthy country like, like Australia. But they've also provided lots of alternatives for people. So if you don't want to drive for a variety of reasons, you can take a tram, you can ride a bike, you can ride a scooter. There are lots of other options readily available. So um, also living there made me experience firsthand that it is possible to live in a place without a car. But I mean, I have to say, also, when I lived in California, which is a very car oriented place, it's kind of like, like us, most California cities are car oriented, even there, I did manage to uh, make do without a car. So I'm very committed to the car free lifestyle. And that's what brought me to this project. Awesome. So what did you find when you started gathering evidence in Brisbane? Is there a is there a group of car free people in Brisbane? Um, yes, there is. And first, for the research, I should give credit to my student, former student, uh, Haley Pageman, because she was the one who went out there and did the interviews. We um, we did the project together. And yes, we found that um, there is a group of mavericks, even here in Brisbane, who want to embrace a car-free lifestyle. And um, I want to make a distinction here between carless and car-free. We use the term car-free uh, purposely, and by that we mean people who could potentially own a car. They have enough income to afford the car, and they don't have any other issues. For example, um, they're not very old, or they don't have a disability that prevents them from um, driving a car, but they freely choose to um, just shun car ownership. And yes, we found there is a small group. We don't know the statistics. It's hard to tell because... Our census does measure how many people don't own a car, but then that will include um, the carless as well. We don't know if not having a car is by choice or by circumstance. So, but we estimate maybe, I don't know, five, six percent of people are car free by choice. And look, they, they do manage to live in Brisbane without a car. It is possible. That's great. I'm so I'm so pleased to hear that there are people out there within our own cities doing that. Um, because yeah, as you say, sort of overseas, it's more common. But I guess Australian and, and many US cities are, are much more car dominant and are sort of designed around the car. So what what do you find are some of the main reasons why people in Brisbane are shunning the car? Um, there is a variety of reasons. Um, there is, of course, the um, group of environmentalists that feel very strongly that to care for the environment, it's not enough to adopt technological solutions, say, you know, electric cars. I mean, some people believe, oh, well, if I ride an electric car, that's that's the solution right there. Well, some people realize that that's not quite the solution. Electric cars are also very polluting um, in their entire life cycle. So they're not polluting at the point of driving. Um, that's fine. But then just creating a car creates a lot of pollution in the factories. And then batteries are also very polluting. And we still don't have uh, very good facilities to recycle a lot of large 
car batteries or electric bike batteries, for that matter, electric scooter batteries. So some people realize that that's not quite the solution. And they realize that if you just say, well, I'll drive less instead of not driving at all, that's also not quite the solution because it's really easy to get down the rabbit hole. Once you own the car, then you end up using it because it's the the sunk cost. You know, you figure, well, I spent the money buying this big vehicle. It was a big expense, so... I should um, make the best of it and use it. So they just decide to to give it up entirely. There is also a crowd where um, they have enough income, they could afford car ownership, but they realize I can save a lot of money if I don't own the car at all. I mean, I could make it work, but might as well not own it. And that way I can save for a nice vacation. Come summertime, I can just go overseas with all the money I save from um, not owning a car. So there is also um, that crowd, sort of the more more thrifty kind of people. And then there is also the people who sort of reevaluate. At some point, they reevaluate their life choices. So first, they follow the conventional script, the Australian script, where you come out of school. Um, you get a job, you get a car, you buy a house, and people don't think about it. It's sort of pre-programmed. That's what you're supposed to do. And then people, after they've done this for a while, something happens in their life. Either the car breaks or they change house or um, their kids move out, so the empty nesters. And then they realize they don't need the car so much, and then they think, wait, why? Um, why do we need this? I mean, it seems like... We should have a car, but we don't really need it. So they just they just give it up. So, yeah, a variety, a variety of reasons there. Yeah, wow. And, I mean, coming from our own personal experience, do you find you're less stressed <laughs> not sitting in traffic? And, you know, are there kind of health benefits? Obviously, there are in terms of more walking and things, but mental health-wise? Very much, very much so. Yeah, I should say I should disclose. I'm a car-free person myself, and I have been since I moved to Brisbane seven years ago. And some people see the car as freedom. Uh, I actually see not having a car as freedom because I don't have to think about where am I going to park the car every time, and if the car breaks down, you know, having to take care of all of that. One person in the interviews even mentioned that, oh, this way I don't have to be a chauffeur for my friends, because she had realized <laughs> she, was doing, yeah, she was doing a lot of airport runs and other errands for friends. So without a car, she didn't have to do that anymore. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, so those of us who live without a car, we, we see that as freedom, actually. Yeah, and I mean, just speaking from my own personal experience, I mean, we, we own cars. We're on the Gold Coast. I've got three young kids. But to come to Brisbane for work, you know, I 99% of the time will get the train. And I just find that so much less stress. You know, I get that time back. The commute mm-hmm. is work time for me. It gives me a walk from the train station to the office. Um, yes, it takes a bit more time, but it's, I feel so much less stressed. I've done it twice in the past three months I've driven and it's, mm-hmm. I just won't do, do it unless I really have to because it, I find it so much more convenient and so much less stress getting the train. Yeah. And you mentioned the issue of the kids. Um, that's true. A lot of young parents, I mean, even ones that are, um, committed to the environment often feel that, um, if they may do without a car before kids, once they have kids, they have to have a car. And um, I have to say in our sample, I mean, it was a small sample, there were only a few people with kids 
that managed to live without a car, they tended to live in inner city where bus services are better or maybe you can use a bike to get around and there are enough stores and other services and facilities within easy reach. In the suburbs, that's not necessarily true. Too many of our suburbs are sort of desert lands when it comes to health food and I don't know, even things like doctor's offices and whatnot, you need to, to reach all of those by car. So there is that issue, but a few people still manage, yeah, still manage to, um, to live without a car and they adopted little strategies like, um, they created carpools with, uh, the parents or their kids' friends. So the kids wouldn't be deprived, you know, they could still go to the activities that they needed to, to get to, or they did, um, short-term car rentals or car sharing on the weekend if they um, wanted to take the kids to the beach and it was too hard to do on the train. For example, from Brisbane, if we want to go to the Gold Coast by public transport, sometimes it's three transfers. And you can do it as a single person or as a commuter, but if you're dragging three kids along, that's just, that's just too complicated. So then people would just rent a car in those in those instances if they wanted to take the kids to the beach. So um, another thing people said is if you don't have a car, maybe you need to plan ahead a little bit more. Um, so you cannot be as spontaneous, like spur of the moment, except personally, I found that at this day and age of Uber and Ola and DD, you can be fairly spontaneous, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, as you say, technology is changing that. So what do you think are some of the societal benefits of being car-free? Obviously, we've spoken about the personal benefits to the person who's who's going car-free, but there's there's a greater good here, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is so many societal benefits. So there is the environmental benefit that's huge. Imagine not having any of the pollution that personal cars cost just none of that but then there is also an economic benefit i mean people don't seem to realize how much they're spending on cars some people have done research where they try to balance you know the cost of housing in the inner city versus the cost of having to own a car if you buy a house farther out in the suburbs and yes initially the house is cheaper but then if you edge onto it the cost of the car that you're going to spend over 10 20 30 years to make all those trips to the CBD for work, which are going to be so much longer because you live farther out, you know, it starts to balance out. I mean, it's not that big a saving, living far out in um, suburbs with a car. So there is all the, the economic benefit and ability or all security, not having to depend on oil all the time, just making choices where we just depend on human power, our own two feet and um, or maybe two two wheels, like as in a bicycle, two non-motorized wheels. So um, so that's important. And there there is the health benefit we were talking about. It forces you to walk more um, or take public transport more when you don't have a car. So then that way you organically incorporate um, a little bit of physical exercise to your day without thinking too much about it. So this is this is all huge. And then think also of the cost, again, another health cost in terms of all the accidents, the traffic accidents that we would not have if um, there wasn't so much automobility in our society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, a big one for me is that going back to the environment, I mean, you know, we've just had COP26, which is, you know, the big climate change summit 
And, you know, transport is a huge contributor to carbon emissions, you know, and if we were to just, you know, take a, a significant amount of cars off the road, that would solve a lot of those issues that those world leaders have been talking about for the last two weeks. Absolutely. And it is a personal choice. I mean, I don't want to make to make it sound as if I want to take the sort of liberal approach of personal responsibility. There is there is a government responsibility when it comes to climate change and um, putting the planet in the path, in the right path of environmental protection and protection from global heating. But it is true that there are some personal choices and, and sacrifices, if you will, that we must we must take. I mean, some of us will just have to, to give up on so much automobility. But like I said, to me personally, this is not even a sacrifice. I consider it freedom, not not owning a car. Yeah, that's great. It's such a different mindset. Okay, so the last question I want to ask you is is the big one. So you mentioned there's only about 6% of Brisbane's community being car-free, and, and that is much less on the Gold Coast. I mean, 6% is is high for Brisbane compared to where the Gold Coast would be. So how do you... How do you think we can support a greater portion of the population in southeast Queensland to make the switch to car-free and to see the freedoms that it creates? It has to be, as anything in planning, it has to be a package of options. There is no silver bullet when it comes to transport. So we need to make automobility more expensive. Now we've made it excessively cheap by subsidizing oil and keeping parking prices cheaper than they need to be and all of that, building roads for free. I mean, that's a transport cost, right, that the government practically provides for free for motorists. So all of that needs to be priced to the point where people are actually paying their way. People who choose to drive are paying their way. But then, um, so those are the stick measures, the so-called stick measures where you sort of uh, make it harder for people to drive. But then we also need to offer the so-called carrot measures, um, the kind of measures that make alternatives to driving more palatable for people, make it really, really easy to cycle, make it really, really easy to take public transport. That's that's what we need to do. I mean, we need to have a state-of-the-art cycling network in our inner city so people can experience firsthand the benefits of not having to drive, just being able to hop on a bike safely and get where you need to get in 10 minutes. That's that's what needs to happen. I mean, we need some kind of pilot plan to begin with that covers maybe the inner city where the most car-free people are located and then expand that into the suburbs once people see that, well, this is this is good. This is desirable. Fewer cars make the city more beautiful. Congestion makes the city ugly car paraphernalia um, like guardrails and parking and all of that make the city ugly it affects our mental health whereas walking and cycling is beautiful that's that should be the message absolutely and it's people at the end of the day that buy things from shops it's not cars you know so getting people out of their cars and onto the footpaths will actually increase economic productivity in cities and oh gosh there's so many benefits you've you've really got me thinking Darina and I'm it, something that stuck with me since the beginning of this chat is is your upbringing and and you know my children are so used to getting in the car you know whenever we go somewhere it's they know that they they go and sort of stand at the car and I've got two year old twins and a one year old so you know they're they're very little so I think I'm still I've still got time to shape 
how they perceive transport. And I'm going to take it as a, a challenge to try and do more active transport with them so that they don't always think to hop in the car because it, it starts from that young age. I think you're right. Absolutely, absolutely. Focusing on childhood is very, very important. That's why programs like safe routes to school or walking trains are very important to get kids to enjoy walking. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the chat and um, I think I'll be thinking about this for the rest of the day. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's okay. And thank you for tuning into the Hustle and Bustle podcast this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review so others tune in too. You can follow the show on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast, and LinkedIn, search for Hustle and Bustle podcast and request to join the group. That's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.